Amen. Would you bow and pray with me as we prepare to open up God's word? Father, thank you for Jesus. I thank you for the hope you've given us in him. He's our hope in life and in death. And our joy, our satisfaction, our identity, our purpose, everything we need is found in him. It's found in knowing him and being known by him. And Lord, we thank you for the grace that you've extended to needy sinners like us that the door is open to salvation. And you invite us to trust you, to obey you, to receive all that you have provided through your son, Jesus. I pray that today as we open your word, as we consider the call of Christ, and as we celebrate the miracle of salvation through baptism, I pray that you'd receive all the glory for it all. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 5. Our text will be Luke 5, verses 1 through 11. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. The theme of Luke's gospel, because it has a theme, this isn't just a bunch of random stories, the theme that Luke is seeking to drive home is the good news of salvation in Jesus. In it's good news of salvation in Jesus, Luke emphasizes, for everyone. It's for the Jews and the Gentiles. It's for insiders and outsiders. It's for the rich and the poor. It is for the righteous, the respectable, the so-called righteous, we should say, but also for the scandalous, also for those that are condemned and despised by society. This good news of salvation in Jesus is for everyone. But this good news must be received. The, The good news of the gospel, the message of Christ, it calls for faith. It must be believed in. We must respond to this message in faith. We've seen in our study through Luke several different responses already to the preaching and to the ministry of Jesus. The people at Nazareth, they tried to kill him. Uh, The people at Capernaum, they tried to keep him. They said, wow, it'd be nice to have a Messiah around. He can uh, do all these miracles for us. Would you please stay? We see that many people came to him to be helped by him. So there's different kinds of responses to Jesus. But listen, the response that Jesus is after is a response of faith. And it's a faith, as we'll see today, that produces following. The response that Jesus desires to his preaching, to his person, is faith that produces following. Faith is demonstrated by following Jesus. In our text today, Luke records a vivid story, a miraculous work of Jesus, a miracle, and the impact that that miracle has on several unsuspecting fishermen on the Sea of Galilee is that it results in them leaving everything behind to follow Jesus. And this story teaches us something very important about what it looks like to respond to the call to follow Christ. We find the setting for this story in verses one through three of Luke chapter five. It says, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. 
Luke tells us that Jesus is at what he calls the Lake of Gennesaret. This is what other authors usually refer to as the Sea of Galilee. It's the same place. It's about seven miles by 12 or 13 miles. So it's a lake, it's a sea, it's, yeah, it's something like that. It's in that neighborhood. And it was a great location for fishing. There was a lot of towns that, that cropped up along the shore of this small body of water uh, because fishing was the major industry there. And so Jesus has been teaching throughout this region. In fact, if you look up at the end of chapter 4, it tells us that he was preaching usually in the synagogues, all the synagogues of Judea. But as word was spreading about Jesus' remarkable teaching, as word got out about the miracles he was performing, it wasn't very long before the synagogues weren't big enough to hold the crowds that wanted to come and hear from Jesus and see Jesus and maybe even experience something that Jesus could do for them. And so Jesus would often end up teaching in the countryside, uh, on the side of a mountain, out in the fields, on the shores of Galilee. And on one of these occasions, Luke describes Jesus using a few boats that were present to create a sort of natural amphitheater. Uh, if any of you guys have done much boating, if you're a fisherman, you know sound carries across the water. It kind of bounces off pretty easily. So if you have a, a shore that's sloping downhill, there's all these hills around the, the Sea of Galilee. You get a bunch of people sitting up on that hillside. You get out a little ways on the water. It creates a perfect environment to speak to a large group of people. And so Jesus recognizes that, and he takes that opportunity and because there's this crowd that's gathered there. And Luke tells us that the boat that Jesus selects belongs to a man named Simon. Uh, Simon, who later in this text is called Simon Peter, because Jesus is going to give him that name. He's probably a famous character to you if you've grown up around church at all, if you've ever read the Bible before, and even if you haven't, you've probably heard of Peter, and that's this man. This is Simon. Simon and his brother Andrew were fishermen by trade. These are blue-collar men. They own their own small business. They are fishermen by trade. And there's another set of brothers that we'll see mentioned here, James and John. And it's their business partners. James and John were also fishermen. Now, Simon Peter and James and John, these three fishermen, would eventually become Jesus' closest friends. Uh, they were going to be called to follow Jesus as disciples. They would be part of that band of 12. Uh, but they would be part of this even closer inner circle uh, that Jesus spent much time with. And this is the story of their calling. This is how they ended up as part of this traveling group who followed Jesus. Now, I, I think these men, Simon and, and Andrew, his brother, and James and John, they, it seems they've likely already been exposed to Jesus. They've already heard his teaching. They've already heard the good news of the kingdom that Jesus was preaching in these tabernacles. So, Jesus was likely no stranger to them. They knew who he was. They knew about him. In fact, in the last chapter, we saw that Jesus had healed Simon's mother-in-law. After a day of teaching in the tabernacle, he'd ended up in Simon's house. And they had brought um, Simon's mother-in-law, who was, who was severely ill with a fever. And Jesus had healed her and raised her up. So they already had some experience with Jesus. And while they did not yet fully understand who he was, they did not yet fully understand his true identity and the nature of his mission. At this point, they do believe what they've heard so far, and they are listening to him. In fact, they're trying to, you know, they have work to do, but they're making sure they do their work in a place where they can hear what Jesus has to say. It's a big lake. They could have parked their boat anywhere, 
but they, they want to know what Jesus is going to say. So uh, Luke describes them here as washing their nets. They've been out fishing all night. Um, those nets are harder for the fish to see when it's dark, so they typically fished at night. And then in the morning, they would pick out all the debris, you know, the little snags, sticks, little piece of moss, detangle any knots. They'd get all their equipment cleaned and dried and wrapped up so that it was ready to go the next night. So they're sitting there doing their work after a long night of fishing, and they're listening intently to Jesus. But their, their newfound and growing faith in Jesus is about to make some demands on them. They're no longer going to be allowed to just be passive listeners who are sort of taking in everything Jesus has to say. In what happens next, we find four requirements of following Jesus, requirements that I, I want to draw out of this text and observe in this text and present them to you. And the first is this. We find it in verses 4 through 7. That following Jesus, number one, requires obedience to the word of Christ. It requires obedience to the word of Christ. If you are going to follow Jesus, look at verse four. It says, when he, Jesus, had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. What we find here is that Jesus was done teaching the crowd, but he wasn't done teaching Simon. He still had a point he wanted to make. So he turns to Simon and he gives him this, his, this very surprising instruction. He says, let's go fishing. And this command is surprising for a number of reasons. Number one, I mean, think about this. Put yourself in, in Peter's sandals or his work boots or whatever it is he was wearing out there on the boat that day. Uh, this command that Jesus gives is in their domain. I mean, this is Peter's boat. This is his business. And Peter's working for himself, and that's not free. I mean, this is costing him time and effort and energy. And Jesus is stepping in and acting like their master. He says, hey, let's cast out the boat. Let's push off from, from shore. Let's go out into the deeper water, and I want you to let out your nets for a catch. This is in their domain. Jesus is acting like their master. And the question for Peter is, is Peter, is Simon Peter, going to recognize Jesus as his master? It's putting the ball in his court. This command is also surprising because it's very inconvenient for them. I mean, they, they're just finishing putting all their gear away. Now Jesus wants them to get it all back out again, get it wet again, get it tangled and snagged up again, and have to go through all that work. Are they going to accommodate his wishes? This command is also very counterintuitive. They've already fished all night. That's the best time for fishing. And the fish really aren't accessible right now. This is not a good time. They have had no success through the night. This command actually makes no sense. So are they going to trust Jesus? You see, following Jesus requires obedience to the word of Christ. And sometimes Jesus steps into what feels like our kitchen, <laughs> our domain, the things that we feel like we know a lot about, the things that we think we have enough wisdom on already the things that we feel like is our personal business. Sometimes what Jesus calls us to feels inconvenient. Sometimes it costs us, and it's a test of our faith. Following Jesus requires 
obedience to his word. This is often a direct challenge to our autonomy, our personal autonomy. It's a challenge to our flesh. Because ever since the Garden of Eden, our instinct, our instinct has been to distrust the word of God and rebel against his authority. To think that we know better. To do what we think would be best for us. To rebel against the authority of our maker. We are like William Ernest Henry's Invictus in that old poem he wrote. We defiantly proclaim, it matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. That's how we feel. But following Jesus requires obedience to his word. It requires obedience Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite pastors, once wrote that the Christian's business is first to learn Christ's will and second to do it. We see here how Simon responds. He expresses his reluctance in verse 5. He says, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. He obeyed the word of Christ. It doesn't make sense to him. This is a great inconvenience. He doesn't think this is going to work. This is his area of expertise. Yet he calls Jesus master. And he obeys his word. Following Jesus requires obedience, but there's a second requirement that emerges in this story. We see it in verses 8 through 10. Look in verse 8, Luke chapter 5. Following this massive catch that shocked them, says, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. As Peter casts out his net, as he pushes off into the deep water and he gets his freshly cleaned, freshly wrapped and detangled nets out once again in broad daylight and throws it over the bow, they pull in such a massive catch of fish that they need to call in their partners. James and John have to push out and help them. And as they're starting to get all of these fish into the boat, it starts to sink their boats. This is nothing short of a divine miracle. Nobody is this lucky. And Peter and his brother Andrew and James and John, they knew that. They had grown up doing this, learned it from their fathers before them. They had never seen anything like this. It is an undeniable demonstration of Jesus' power, his power over creation. We've seen already in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus has shown his authority over the demons. He tells them to shut up and they stop talking. He tells them to get out and they leave. We've seen Jesus' authority over physical disease as he rebukes the fever and it leaves Simon's mother-in-law. He heals many who come to him. Now Jesus shows his power over the creatures of the sea as he fills their nets. What they could not accomplish in a long night of work as experienced professionals, Jesus easily accomplishes in broad daylight with one cast in one spot. And Simon Peter here is immediately overcome with a sense of who Jesus is. Yeah, there's a lot of fish in the boat, but Peter's eyes are fixed on Jesus. And he's blown away by this. He's overcome. 
He's already recognized Jesus as master. Master, this doesn't make sense, but at your word, we'll cast our nets. But now he recognizes Jesus as Lord. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. One commentator writes, it is the master who must be obeyed, but the Lord whose holiness caused moral agony in the sinner. Peter's having a difficult moment here. He recognizes who Jesus is, and in the presence of Jesus Christ, the one who has sovereign power over the created realm, Peter immediately becomes aware of his own sinfulness. He feels unworthy. He feels exposed. He feels vulnerable, even in danger. He says, depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man. His response here really mirrors the response of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5, as Isaiah sees this vision of the glory of God, the throne room of God, and the, the heavenly creatures singing, holy, 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 Isaiah cries out, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Peter's having a moment just like that. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Simon Peter knew that Jesus was a preacher unlike any other. He already knew that Jesus could heal, but Jesus just rocked his world. Because Jesus had stepped into Simon Peter's domain, into his realm, the place where he was the expert, and demonstrated absolute power and authority, and it was almost too much for him to bear. And listen, Simon Peter, if he was going to be a follower of Jesus, he needed an experience like this. He needed to come face to face with not just Jesus the teacher, not just Jesus the healer, not just the Jesus who's a good example to follow. He needed to come face to face with the Jesus who is the Son of God, the Jesus who is infinite in his glory and power. He needed a moment like this. Listen, if you simply see Jesus as a good teacher or a moral example or some sort of noble but tragic victim of human cruelty, if you have a small view of Jesus, then you'll never be compelled to follow him. You might like him, you might admire him, but you won't give up everything to follow him until you recognize him for who he is as the Holy One, the Son of, the Son of God, through whom and for whom all things were created. We must see Jesus for who he is, as preeminent in power and glory. Following Jesus requires obedience to the word of Christ, yes, but it also requires a recognition of the person of Christ, to know him as he is. So what do we do with this moral agony? What was Simon to do with this astonishment and fear that was now overwhelming him there in the boat as he falls before Jesus on his knees? What are we to do when we read the scriptures, when we hear biblical teaching, when the Holy Spirit lays upon us the, the heavy reality of the holiness of God? What do we do with that feeling of conviction? When we feel exposed, when we feel vulnerable before the God of the universe who sees down into the very depths of every corner of our heart, what do we do? Well, good news 
To that, Jesus speaks a word of grace. A third requirement of following Jesus is that following Jesus requires trust in the grace of Christ. It requires trust in the grace of Christ. Verse 10, jumping right into the middle, Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. This is not a rebuke. He's not scolding Simon Peter and saying, what's your problem? You shouldn't be afraid right now. No, Simon needed a word of comfort. He needed to be assured of why Jesus had gotten into his boat. Jesus was not there to judge him. Jesus was not there to condemn him. Jesus was not there to use that same power that he just exercised over creation and then redirect that power towards Peter's heart to bring wrath against his sin. Peter needed a word of comfort, and that's what Jesus gives. Simon was afraid because of his own sinfulness. He was painfully aware not only of his unworthiness, but the fact that he deserved judgment, and that that power that just filled the nets could also judge him. Peter knew what he deserved. And to this fear of judgment, Jesus says, fear not. Jesus will say later in this chapter, verse 32, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus had drawn near to Peter, not because he didn't realize that Peter was sinful. He actually was drawing near because he knew that Peter was sinful. He knew that Peter needed what only Jesus could provide, and that is grace. Romans chapter 5, 8, it says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15 says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, Paul comments, of whom I am the foremost. Those who knew Jesus best, men like the Apostle Paul, men like Simon Peter, those who saw him and got a little vision of his glory, they were the ones that were most aware of their sin. But they were also men who came to trust in the grace of Christ. Rather than withdraw from him in cringing fear, rather than running away to hide, when we see the grace of Christ, it invites us to draw near and to trust. This simple assurance, fear not, is a word of grace to sinners. If you do not trust his grace, then you can only fear him. You will only fear that he will condemn you, reject you, and you will run, you will hide, you will cower. If you do not trust the grace of Christ, you will be tempted to think that it depends on you to somehow clean yourself up before you can come to Jesus. You will maybe start to think that it depends on you to do enough good works to make yourself acceptable to him. You might think that it depends on you to improve your condition before you can be in his presence. But Jesus steps right into our boats, knowing our sinfulness, and he speaks a word of grace. He says, fear not. Listen, those who trust the grace of Christ will have confidence to draw near, but they will also have a motive to joyfully follow Jesus. Think about that for Peter. He knew how sinful he was. And he's now getting a sense of who Jesus really is. And if this Jesus is saying, fear not, if this Jesus has an answer for his sinfulness, 
If this Jesus will love and forgive and restore him as a sinner, then this Jesus is worth following. Listen, Jesus loves, Jesus saves, Jesus forgives, Jesus restores, Jesus welcomes sinners who trust his gospel and believe in his promise. And if you are going to follow Jesus, then it requires that you have to trust that. You have to believe that is true. You have to receive and rest in and trust his grace. Following Jesus requires obedience to the word of God, to the word of Christ, It requires a recognition of who Jesus is, his person. It requires trust in the grace of Christ. And then fourth, following Jesus requires participation in the mission of Christ. Jump back in there to verse 10. And I want you to look at what Jesus says to Peter, Simon Peter. He says, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. From now on, you will be catching men. This is more grace. This is amazing news. Instead of rejecting Simon, instead of judging Simon, instead of telling Simon to to steer clear and get a safe distance, Jesus is recruiting him. He's saying, I want you to join me. I want you to join me. Although Simon Peter was begging Jesus to leave, Jesus is inviting him to follow, to join in, to participate in his mission. He says, from now on, Simon with this beautiful wordplay, this imagery as they're there in a boat full of fish. It says, from now on, you will be catching men. Last time I took my kids fishing, they were trying to be really thankful, trying to be appreciative. And one of my kids said, Dad, thanks for taking us casting today. <laughs> because we didn't catch any fish that day. Thanks for taking us casting. Listen, Jesus promises here to do more than just take Peter fishing. He promised him that he would be catching, that he'd be catching men. It's interesting here in the Greek language, the word for catching that Jesus uses is a different word than what Luke describes for when they caught the fish. It really means to capture alive. This is not going to be like the fishing they were doing that day. Those fish were going to get cleaned and sold and cooked and eaten, which is great. We love that. There's a little bit of good news in that. There's some gospel maybe in that, in fishing. But Jesus is saying something more, that he's going to be catching alive. He's going to be catching men. The kind of catching that Simon Peter and his business partners would be doing down the road would be a catching that leads to life, specifically eternal life. This imagery of fishing not only was a fitting metaphor for these men, because they are fishermen, and they're knee-deep in a boat full of fish at the moment, But this metaphor actually echoes some ancient words from Jeremiah chapter 16. In Jeremiah chapter 16, God had promised that judgment would come to the nation Israel because of their sin. But there was good news mingled with this bad news of judgment. The good news is that God would one day gather his people in. Listen to Jeremiah 16, starting in verse 14. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. When it shall no longer be said, as the Lord lives, who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives, who brought up the people of Israel out of the north country and out of all of the countries where he had driven them, for I will bring them back to their own land that I give to their fathers. Behold, I am sending out for many fishers, declares the Lord, and they shall 
catch them. You see, the bad news is that sin separates us from God. For the nation Israel, their idolatry in years past had led them to be scattered into exile. They'd gone into Babylon. They'd been scattered scattered into different countries. But God had promised that one day he would gather his people back in. He says that he would send out for many fishers, declares the Lord, and they shall catch them. And, and, And God is saying through his prophet that when that happens, no longer will they celebrate the exodus as the great day of salvation. No longer will they say, Remember that time the Lord brought us out of Egypt? Because there's going to be something even bigger than that. As as the people of God are gathered in together, as the Lord pours out his grace upon them. Jesus is picking up that metaphor, and he's using it right here with these fishermen. He's basically saying, listen, God is going to keep his promises for bringing salvation to his people, and he's going to use you. He's going to use you to do it. He's going to use you to be the fishers who catch many and bring them into the kingdom. Just like Jesus enabled a supernatural catch in the Sea of Galilee, God was going to use the preaching of these men to bring about a supernatural salvation. Through the ministry of these apostles, as they preached the gospel, first to the Jews, those ancient people scattered abroad, but eventually preaching that same gospel to the Gentiles. And even more impressive than those boats that were creaking, that were leaking because they were so full of fish, even more impressive, just a few years after this, would be the church at Jerusalem as they were packed with 3,000 new converts on the day of Pentecost. Think about that. You have to wonder, did, did Simon Peter remember these words of Jesus as he and his former business partners, now turned fellow apostles, as they were looking at 3,000 people that were added to the church, do you think they turned to each other and said, do you remember when Jesus said that we would be catching men? Remember that day when our boats almost sank because they were so full of fish? This is way bigger than that. 3,000 people added to the church. To follow Jesus for these men would mean participating in his mission, catching men, being used of God to proclaim the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus so that sinners like Simon Peter could receive the grace of God, so that they could believe in the good news and be restored to God, be added into the church, be brought into his kingdom. Listen, to follow Jesus means that we participate as well in this mission. It means we go where Jesus goes. It means we speak the words that Jesus told us to speak. It means we participate in his mission of gathering sinners together and proclaiming the good news, the good news of salvation, salvation that is for all who will believe. Look how this story sort of wraps up in verse 11. It says, and when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. They left everything and followed him. They had obeyed his word. They had come to see Jesus more and more clearly for who he really was. They were trusting in his grace. And they're now ready to start participating in his mission. It wasn't just fish that got caught that day. Jesus leaves the scene and he's got some fishermen following him. That's what Jesus was more interested in, even than those fish that would be taken to market later that day. 
Well, I'm thinking somebody probably took them that day because these guys left it all behind. I'm sure someone else picked it up, but they left everything. They left their nets, they left their boats, they left the business because they had been called to follow Jesus. They now had a new mission, which meant they had a lot to learn. And they were going to learn as they followed Jesus. And at the end of his earthly mission, after equipping and training these men, After Jesus rose from the dead, he told these disciples and others to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And they did. These men would dedicate their lives to advancing Christ's mission. John would end up leading the church at Ephesus. Peter would end up leading the church eventually in Rome. His brother Andrew would go as far as the eastern border of what is nowadays called Russia. And through these fishermen, the foundation of the church was established. A church that now continues through us. A mission that now continues and extends through us as we participate in this same endeavor of fishing. Seeking to catch men and women through the preaching of the gospel. Calling others to join us as we follow Jesus. Listen, faith in Jesus is demonstrated by following Jesus. And this following Jesus requires that we obey his word, that we recognize him for who he is, that we trust in his grace, and that we participate in his mission. So the natural question to ask is, are you a follower of Jesus? Are you a follower of Jesus? Perhaps you've never responded to the call. You've never said yes to Jesus' invitation, to his authoritative call to leave whatever it is that you've been holding on to, to leave it behind, and to follow Christ. Perhaps today the Holy Spirit is bringing conviction. He's impressing upon you that you need to turn from your sin, turn from yourself, and follow Christ, to become a follower of Jesus. To obey the call to follow means believing in the gospel. You're not trusting in yourself or your good works, but you're simply receiving the grace that Jesus offers through the cross. To become a follower of Jesus requires that today you must look to him. That you must see him as the way and the truth and the life. As the son of God who died and rose again to redeem you from your sin. To follow Jesus means you need to trust his grace. Just to receive it by faith. It doesn't depend on you and your good works and your efforts. It means that you trust that the shedding of his blood atones for your sin. And that all the righteousness God requires from you is actually provided by God to you through faith in Christ. Will you say yes and obey his call today? Trust the gospel. Become a follower of Jesus. I know there's many here today who do believe. If you have faith in Christ, if you believe in his gospel, if you see him for who he is and you're trusting in his grace, then you need to follow him. This is what it means to be a disciple. The gospel produces followers. So all of us who know Christ, who have believed in the gospel, we are followers of Jesus. The question is, are we following him faithfully or are we out of line? Perhaps there's something you need to leave behind today that's dragging you down. Perhaps there's an area of obedience that is missing in your life. Perhaps you have this tendency in your heart to sort of revert to your old ways of relying on your efforts and relying on your good works and thinking that somehow your salvation has something to do with your performance. 
Perhaps you've neglected to participate in the mission. You haven't gone fishing in a long time. Perhaps there's something today that Christ wants to remind you of so that you can live out your faith and demonstrate that faith by following Jesus. May we be followers of Christ who have our eyes fixed on our Savior, who have wills submitted to his word, who have hearts that are resting in his grace and who are faithfully participating in the mission that he has given us. Father, I thank you for these powerful, simple, but profound stories that teach us these eternal truths about what it means to really follow Christ. Lord Jesus, we look at this miracle of how you brought all these fish into the net and we're reminded of the even greater miracle where you rose from the dead. And it says we gaze upon you, the risen Savior, that we see you for who you really are. We see your power most, most impressively displayed there. Lord, we ask that you would move our hearts today to respond to you in faith, to simply follow you, to be trained and taught by you, to be used by you in your mission to bring many sinners to salvation. Lord, we give you the glory for the work that you desire to do in our hearts today. We thank you for your word. May we respond today in faith, in obedience, and trust. Amen.